Awesome. Hey, glad to have you uh, in the house of God with us this morning. I know many of you joined us last Sunday night for our last revival night in Seattle where we made an announcement uh, really about the future of this church and what we believe God is doing in this region. But for those of you who weren't able to join us last Sunday, we wanted to play that video for you this morning and give you kind of a behind-the-scenes look to some of what God has been doing and developing over the last number of years here in our hearts as a leadership team. And uh, I imagine it's going to encourage you this morning. So if you'd go ahead and turn your attention to the screen, let's play that video this morning. Yeah, for two years, I've come down to the city every week to walk these neighborhoods, prophesy to these streets, and dream for a better future. I was raised in this city, and I refuse to believe God can't revive it again. Isn't that the starting place of every miracle story? Where you see a graveyard, God sees a miracle. Where you see lack, God sees abundance. You know, this church was planted on a prayer. And we didn't have money, we didn't have a building, we didn't have staff or a game plan, but we had the presence. And look what the Lord has done. I think we're having revival because we know we don't deserve it. I think we are having an awakening because we refuse to take credit for it. And as long as I pastor this church, we're going to give glory to God for the great things that He has done. Hear me very clearly tonight. I am not interested in being known. I'm not trying to make it on the conference circuit. I don't have a best-selling book I'm trying to promote. My joy is fulfilled in hearing his voice. And I just want to play a part in what he is doing next. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. We have asked, we have sought, and we have knocked, and I have got good news. The door has been opened unto us. We are announcing tonight that starting May 1st, Pursuit Seattle is officially launching in the Ballard area. I'm asking you to join me on a new adventure of God's faithfulness in one of the least churched areas in the nation. I know this task will be difficult, but friend, we're created to do hard things. I don't see the darkness in Seattle as the reason we should stay away. I see it as an invitation to thrust out laborers for the fields are ripe unto harvest. If we will cast our nets, God will send the fish. If we will speak to the rock, water will flow. If we will will offer God what we have. He will take our simple obedience and rewrite the pages of history. And I've got good news. These mountains still melt like wax in the presence of our God. Join me on May 1st as we begin the next chapter in God's faithfulness to Seattle and beyond. No, don't join me for an event. No, don't join me for a night or, or just for a special service. Instead, become a living stone in the spiritual house that God is building in this region. I can't do it alone, but I am confident God is sending the right people at the right time to cause this dream to come alive. Can anything good come out of the Northwest? I am telling you, come and see. What was true on day one is still true today. It is revival in our day and reformation in our lifetime. On May 1st, everything changes once again. We go from one church in one location to one church in two locations. And from Snohomish to Seattle, Jesus is Lord. And from the West Coast to the East Coast, Jesus is Lord. And from this nation to the nations of the earth, Jesus is Lord. And to the increase of his kingdom and government, there will be no end. Awesome. Awesome. 
Hey, starting at the month of May, we're going to have four preview services, May, June, July, and August. Those are going to be in the evening. And then starting on the first Sunday in September, we will launch Sunday morning services right in the heart of Seattle. You know, I've been asked, you know, does this mean that we're leaving Snohomish or abandoning Snohomish? No, it's not an either or, it's a both and. I just think that what God is doing on the north end is too important for it just to stay on the north end. You know, the devil don't care how big your church is as long as you stay inside of it. And so we're going to expand. We're going to increase. We're going to take some new territory, take some new cities, take some new regions. And this won't be the last time that we plant a campus, but it is the first time. And uh, we're just believing that God is going to send the right people and the right resources. And we're going to make a God-sized impact in Seattle. Seattle needs it. And uh, we just believe in a God who will supply in accordance to his riches and glory. And so God's going to make available property. He's going to make available a building, uh, partly because he has to, because this is his church, not ours. And so it's his concern, not mine. It's his agenda, not ours. And so God will make a way. And uh, we're anticipating a great harvest of souls uh, out of the Seattle region. So please continue to pray with us and for us as we take some of the next steps here in our journey uh, of obedience. Obviously, you know, today is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday uh, is Easter Sunday. On Friday, we've got our three Good Friday services. Those are going to be real uh, cool time here of worship and communion. We're going to do that at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., and 7 p.m. And then on uh, Sunday, we're just going to be here all day, 8.30, 30, 10.30, 11.30, 12.30, 1.30. And we're anticipating about 4,000 from around the community joining us for that day. And uh, we're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, I believe that the Spirit of God is going to move on many hearts and many minds. And so I'm going to encourage you to invite a friend. Let's help build the house of God together. And in doing so, we're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of fun here uh, over the Easter weekend. Hey, coming up April 24th, I know it was already in the announcements, but let me just put it again on your radar. We're doing Membership Sunday. If you haven't already signed up to be a member here uh, at Pursuit, I'd encourage you to do so. You can do it right on our website. You don't have to pass any sort of test. There's no sort of uh, kind of Mensa analysis to determine your IQ. Uh, it's just an opportunity for you to say, hey, I'm not just a visitor, I'm a builder in the house of God here in the Northwest. And so April 24th, we're going to introduce all of our new members. And if you have been contemplating signing up to be a member here uh, at Pursuit, I would encourage you to do so on our website and then be here on the 24th for our presentation Sunday. This morning, I'm going to share with you out of the gospel uh, of Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, where uh, the author Luke, who's an observer of the ministry of Christ, writes about the day that we celebrate today, which is Palm Sunday. Some of you may have grown up in a church where every Palm Sunday, they handed out palm branches to the audience. Everybody waved them during worship. Anybody ever been in a church service like that? Well, due to supply line issues, we weren't able to get palm trees for you. But, you know, believe it or not, palm trees are not native to the Northwest. It's a little harder up here in the frozen tundra to, to get some of those things, but... The reason why we celebrate this day is because 2,000 years ago, in order to fulfill prophecy, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and the people declared him as king. And Palm Sunday really begins what we call Passion Week, the final week of the ministry of Christ here on earth prior to his crucifixion and his resurrection. 
But it starts with Palm Sunday where Jesus rides into a city and the people openly declare, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you've been a Christian for any measure of time, you've sat through Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday services maybe dozens of times. But one of the things that I so appreciate and love about the Word of God is that even when you feel like you've memorized a story, when you begin to reread it, the Holy Spirit is always faithful to illuminate some more truth, some deeper truth than you've ever seen before. And the Bible is unlike any other book you will ever read, for it is living, breathing, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so as we go to the Gospels this morning, don't tune out because you've heard the story or because you know how it ends or because you're familiar with the details, but instead understand the cry of the Apostle John, even in the book of Revelation, he who has eyes to see and he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And in Luke 19, starting in verse 28, Luke records this story. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead Going up to Jerusalem, when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, when we preach, we always try to contextualize the message by understanding what is happening directly before and directly after the story in which we're reading. And in order to really understand the literature that's being written by Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, it's helpful to understand what Luke is referring to. When he said these things, he went on up to Jerusalem. And what are the things that Jesus said? Well, Luke is referring to the parable that Jesus tells directly preceding the triumphal entry. And that parable goes like this. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants and he delivered to them 10 minus, which was three months wages. And he said to them, watch, do business until I return. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful with a very little, have authority over ten cities." This parable tells me three primary truths. Number one, God is interested in a return on his investment. And friend, you are God's investment. Number two, the master is returning soon. Tomorrow is not promised. Scripture says that when Christ returns, that we will see the clouds rolled back like a scroll that we will hear a great shout from the heavens, that Christ will descend and the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive will be caught up with him in the air. And we will see the one who was pierced and bruised for our transgressions and our sin and our sickness and we will behold him in beauty, glory and brilliance. Friend, the master is returning soon. And number three, he desires to give his people authority over cities. 
Now, when Jesus first tells the parable of the talents, he says, to those who invested talents wisely, I will give them more talents. But at the end of his ministry, he tells a very similar parable, but now the reward is authority over cities. I want you to see something this morning. Because you were faithful in very little, now have authority over a lot. Because you were faithful in Snohomish, now have authority in Seattle. Because you were faithful with that ordinary job, now have a promotion in your next season. Because you were faithful with that small task, now prepare for a greater responsibility. Because you were faithful to grow what was given you, God will give you more. Faithfulness with the little is always the key that unlocks the door to authority over the many. And it is absolutely key that Jesus is telling this parable on this day, just prior to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He is telling his disciples, I am going to the Father on your behalf, and I will give you authority in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost parts of the earth, and you will be my witnesses. Watch the focus of scripture. Matthew 24 and 13, but he who remains faithful to the end will be saved. Revelation 2 and 10, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. James 1 and 2, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Hebrews 11 and 16, without faith it's impossible to please God. Jude 1 and 3, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. 2 Timothy 4 and 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Hebrews 10 and 38, but the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 14 and 23, whatever is not from faith is sin. David was faithful with his father's flocks before God would give him authority over his father's people. Abraham was faithful with the one son before God would make him the father of many nations. Joseph is faithful as a servant until God makes him a ruler over Egypt. Samuel is faithful as a prophet to Eli until God makes him a prophet over Israel. Faithfulness with your current assignment is what unlocks favor for the next assignments. Watch the command in verse 13. Do business until I return. I think that means plant vineyards, build houses, raise families and reach nations, impact culture and influence government, develop giftedness, do business until I return. See, Jesus, who is the son of David, is entering the city of David, announcing that he would sit on the throne of David, and in doing so, fulfill every prophecy that was foretold about the Messiah who was to come. It was not incidental, it was not accidental, it was not ancillary, it was the fulfillment of what had been spoken hundreds and thousands of years prior. Jesus would ride in, and he would have his reward not just with a people, but over an entire city. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives that he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt or a donkey tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. I want you to notice the description given this donkey. A donkey... 
that ain't no one had ever sat on before. See, this moment was so sacred, it was so holy, it was so reverent that it needed an animal that had never been saddled, never been ridden, never been yoked, branded, owned, or occupied by any other person before. And in fact, we see this pattern in scripture. When the ark returned to Israel, it was put on a cart pulled by two cattle that had never been yoked. When an atoning sacrifice was made in Israel, it was to be a red heifer that had never been yoked. There are some things that are so holy that God is unwilling to share them with any other entity. And in many ways, friend, this is a picture of the gospel. God is unwilling to share you with any other writer, any other idol, any other identity, philosophy, worldview, or way of living. When Christ sits on the throne of a person's heart, he isn't just showing up, he is taking over. And in fact, that's why the scriptures proclaim, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. No, you don't have the right to delete stuff from scripture that you don't like because your life is not your own. No, you don't have the right to make up your own gender because your life is not your own. You have given up the right to hate your enemies. You've given up the right to be selfish with your resources. You've given up the right to not forgive because your life is not your own. See, this was the fulfillment of what Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He is lowly and riding on a donkey. How many of you know that God's plan versus our plan looks radically different than we could ever imagine? But you ought to trust God in the midst of your process, that even when you expected a white horse, if all you got is a donkey, God still knows what he's doing through and in your life. See, when we say yes to Jesus, we always say, hey, it's gonna go from point A to point B. All my dreams are gonna come true. It's gonna happen in under six months. Everything's gonna be awesome. I'm never gonna get critiqued, never gonna have a hardship. It's gonna be wonderful. But see, God's plan takes you through valleys and lakes and rivers and mountaintops and furnaces and fires. And in every season of life, he proves himself faithful on your behalf. That is the goodness of God in the land of the living. I just would hope this morning that there would be two or three who would recognize that I ought to trust God even when the plan feels like I'm going in every sort of different direction. God knows what he's doing. If he gave me a donkey, if he gave me a horse, if he gave me a mission, he gonna see me through for the one who promised is faithful to fulfill. See, the king rides on the back of a humble, ordinary donkey. And I would venture to say that his presence still rides in on the back of humble, ordinary people. See, the donkey was a resource that had been waiting at a neighbor's house until it was time for every prophetic promise to be completed. See, God has already figured out your transportation. He's already figured out how you're going to get from point A to point B. He's already figured out how that situation is going to turn for the better, how that issue is going to be resolved, how that promise is going to be fulfilled, how your family is going to be restored. God has already lined up the resource. Now your job is to be obedient. 
And in verse 31, Jesus gives instructions. He says, if anyone asks you why you are loosing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord is in need of it. So those who were sent their way and found it just as he had said to them, then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. Jesus could have done this miracle any way that he saw fit. He could have snapped his fingers and caused a donkey to materialize from the dust. He could have spoken it into existence and saw a donkey descend from the heavens. But for whatever reason, it required the participation of a willing neighbor who had a resource that had never been utilized. Why won't God just perform the miracle without my participation? Because the Lord is in need of your involvement. See, in creation, God gave dominion to man. In Psalms 115, David says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. You have a certain mandate and authority in the natural realm. And when you partner your natural with his supernatural, that is most often when a miracle is produced in your life. I am convinced when you tithe in the natural, it produces a resource miracle in the supernatural. I am convinced when you lay hands on and pray in the natural, it transfers power and anointing in the supernatural. I am convinced when you prophesy in the natural, it releases creative power in the supernatural. I am convinced when you worship in the natural, it is a song of deliverance that reverberates in the supernatural. The donkey didn't have a so the disciples took their own clothes and placed it on the back of the donkey, making a seat for the master to ride. No, it doesn't need to be pretty. It doesn't need to be perfect in order for God to use it. It just needs to be available and offered. God, all I've got is a cloak, a five loaves, a two fishes. All I've got is this mat that I've been laying on. All I've got is these two or three talents that you gave me. All I've got is these kids I'm raising. All, all, all I've got is this sphere of influence that you gave me. But if I will by faith take my natural and offer it to the one who oversees the heavens, then when heaven comes to earth, it produces a miracle in my immediate future. John Wesley said it like this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. St. Augustine said it like this, without God, we cannot, but without us, God will not. Whether you like it or not, you got a part to play. Your participation matters because God is looking for willing partners in the earth. And it seems like the more difficult a task is, the more reformed we get in our theology. Like whatever I'm in need of, when it's difficult, then we lean back onto the sovereignty of God. Like, God, I just need you to bring a spouse to me. I just need you to bring a job to me. I just need you to manufacture the miracle on your end without my faith, without my prayer, without my belief, and put it on my doorstep. God, I want you to do all the work without any of my involvement because this task is too difficult. But if you would just offer God what you have, 
If you would just partner with him in simple obedience. If you would just say, God, here I am, send me. Here I am, use me. I know it's not perfect. I know it's not pretty, but let, my, let me take my cloak and put it on the back of this donkey and, and let me just seat you in the midst of my natural and watch what God would do. Now watch what happens. As he went, many spread their clothes on the road, and then as he was drawing near the descent of the mountain of olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And to reach Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, Jesus would proceed west down the mountain. He would walk right through the Kidron Valley and into the temple area through the eastern gate. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey representing peace. But Isaiah says that when Christ returns, he will in like manner land on the Mount of Olives. He will ride into Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate, but this time it'll be on a white horse holding a sword because it will be time for war. I want you to see nothing in scripture is there by accident. Every step that Jesus took had been foretold by the prophets who looked forward to the age of grace when the only begotten Son of the Father would make a way where there seemed to be no way. And there is a day, and I believe it is coming soon, where this Christ will return, he will stand on the Mount of Olives, he will overlook the city of Jerusalem, and he will march in once again as our triumphant king with a sword in his hand to vanquish the enemies of God, and he will establish his his kingdom and his peace on the earth for a thousand years. That is the God that we serve. See, Palm Sunday gets his name from the branches of the palm trees that they would have laid down on the road as an act of honor. This was commonly done in the Roman Empire. When a king and his army would conquer a city, the king would ride triumphantly through the streets as the people would lay down their coats and palm branches on the ground as a sign of honor, submission, loyalty, and reverence. In the ancient Egyptian tradition, the palm branch was carried in a funeral procession for it represented eternal life. In the Jewish tradition, the palm branch was carried during the Feast of Tabernacles to celebrate provision. No wonder the Romans were so threatened by Jesus. No wonder the religious establishment was so irritated by Jesus. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a worker of miracles. He wasn't just a student of the law or another spiritual leader. He was the promised Messiah. And on this day, the crowds would announce, the king that we have been waiting for is finally here. The people laid their coats on the ground. They waved palm trees in their hands. They sung out a worship song from the book of Psalms. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I would venture to say this morning, Jesus still rides into cities on the back of people's praise. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, even the stones would immediately cry out. You know, the more I read this verse, the less I think it's hyperbole. 
all of creation has been longing for this moment and now it's finally here. The one who they had waited for, believed for, contended for, the one who through all creation was made, the one who was born of a virgin, both fully God and fully man, the one who would take away the sin of the world and offer redemption to all who believe, he was finally here. And someone, something, somewhere had to give him praise, lest the very fabric of creation be torn open and the stones cry out. I think it also functions as an indictment on the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, even these rocks who cannot see and cannot hear, recognize that the king of creation is walking by. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, the Bible for only ever the second recorded time says that Jesus weeps. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes because you did not know the day of your visitation. I want you to know this morning, Fred, that there are days, seasons, and windows of opportunity by which God draws near to his people. And it is what you do during those windows of opportunity that defines your life going forward. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they did not know the peace that he offered them. And how many times does Jesus weep over our cities and our regions because they do not understand the peace that he offers them? The idea that you can be reconciled to God the Father, the idea that his righteousness can be your righteousness, the idea that if the grave didn't hold Jesus, it wouldn't hold you, that God can restore every broken thing about your life. How many times does Jesus weep over our broken estate? Because instead of offering him what we have, we hold back. How many times have we missed windows of opportunity by which God is inviting us to come drink of the river to never thirst again? Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. The whole city is in a panic, frenzied worship. They are declaring that the one that we have been waiting for has finally arrived. And as Jesus rides into that city, this week will turn out so much differently than the disciples could have ever imagined. But not once did Jesus ever lose his kingly identity or his kingly prerogative. Yes, he was the one who would be bruised for our iniquities and hung on a cross for all the world to see. But he was as much king of the universe on that cross as he was when he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is a God that you can trust with your pain. That is a God that you can trust with your past, present, and future. One who, while you were yet a sinner, died for you and invited you into right relationship with the Father. And on Palm Sunday, all of Jerusalem worshiped. And on Palm Sunday, the church of Jesus Christ gathers to worship with this simple belief, God still rides in on the back of humble folks who will worship in spirit and in truth. Guys, we're setting up for Easter weekend. 
We're getting ready to celebrate the greatest day that there has ever been. A day that not only split history, but defined history. And we're gonna be a folk who gather in the midst of all the chaos of the world around us, and we offer the king what is worth to his name, worship, praise, and adoration. And we're just gonna go ahead and prophesy to every city in this region, our God is writing in, our king is here, he will establish his kingdom, his government and his peace and the church of God will advance come on friend that's who we are and that is the type of God that we serve come on would you stand all across this room let me pray for you as we close this morning father now in the mighty name of Jesus we offer you praise adoration honor glory and power to the eternal invincible immortal God God, we bring you today our natural. We bring you today the sacrifice of our praise. And we lay at your feet every accomplishment, every fear, every dream, every goal, every care, every anxiety. We lay it at your feet as an act of worship. And we say, God, go ahead and ride in to the middle of my circumstance and let your power be known through my life. We declare on this Palm Sunday, there is no king but Jesus. There is no God like our God. There is no power like his power. There is no authority like his authority. We declare Jesus is the king of Snohomish. We say Jesus is the king of Seattle. We say Jesus is the king of this nation. And to the nations of the earth, may your glory flood this place. Father, we pray now that you would help us in our time of need that we would keep our eyes firmly fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, King Jesus. And we declare, God, have your way in our lives. We'll give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Come on, all God's people said amen. Amen. Friend, if you're here today and you need prayer before you go, I'd sure love to add my faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. Why don't you come to the altar? Let's pray. Let's believe together. If not, God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for church. We're going to be back here next week, Friday and Sunday. Invite a friend. Come on, let's help build the house of God together. We'll see you real soon.